series called um, uh, Life Verse, and, and I began it a few weeks ago and, and earlier in our summer. And a life verse is simply this, and we put the definition on the screen. It says, a life verse is a verse or short passage from the Bible that speaks to your heart, almost as though it was written just for you. And I kicked off our series with the life verse for my life, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. That was my life verse, and I shared with you what that has meant to me over the years, how I've held on to that verse, and how I've struggled with things like anxiety and other things that have overwhelmed me, and yet I'm always called to be joyful, to pray continually and never stop giving thanks. And we live, when we live according to God's way, then God gives us courage to to live life. And so that was my verse. And we've heard different staff people over the weeks share their life verses. And they were all so good. And they're available online for free. You can watch, you can listen, and be encouraged there. But I want to share another life verse with you from my life. And I have different life verses for different areas of my life. And so today, I want to share with you my life verse for being a dad. This is my life verse as a dad. So today, I want to talk to you about family. And when you think about family, it's an interesting thing because family can bring you the greatest joys in life, and it can also bring the biggest heartaches. And sometimes they're happening simultaneously. Family is a very complex thing. It's the group of people that you celebrate life with, you mourn death with, you experience milestones with. And every family is unique because every family is made up of unique people. And the interesting thing about family is you don't get to choose which family you're in. I bet you wish you could. (laughs) I'd rather be in that family or whatever, but but every family is unique. And like I said, it can be one of the greatest things in the world, but it can also be one of the most challenging things in the world as well. Sometimes you think, if if my family listened to me, everybody would just have such a better life. If they just would do what I told them to do, you know, I have the answers for my family. If they would just listen to me. And then there's other times when everybody's looking at you for the answers, and you're like, uh, I don't have the answers. So here's two questions I want to ask as we begin today. One, what does your family look like? Second question is, what do you want your family to look like? What does your family look like, and what do you want your family to look like? I really wish that I could stand up here and give you 10 easy steps to have the perfect family. That would be like the best message ever. But it doesn't work that way, does it? This past Friday on food day, and we have a community food day where we give food to people who are in need, and and we had cases and cases of cake mix come in this week. So if you see a lot of cake at the picnic, yeah, you you know. But but I I looked at the instructions on the back of one of the boxes. It'll be on the screen here. It's, It's so simple. You just put everything together, then you heat, you beat, and you bake. That's awesome. Don't you wish you could just heat, beat, and bake your family? And have the perfect family. Oh, you probably wish you could, actually. But, but you have the perfect family. You've had this super moist cake. It would come out just perfectly. It would be awesome. But families don't work that way. 
I can't give you instructions to have the perfect family. And before you get under too much condemnation, thinking about your family and how your family just doesn't match up to the perfect family, let me just tell you this, that in the Bible, there are almost no good examples of families in the Bible. Have you ever thought of that before? There are almost no good examples of family in the Bible. They are all so broken and so messed up. And we're talking about Adam and Eve had a perfect life. And they still messed up their marriage. And then when they have kids, they're killing each other. And that's just the first story. You say, well, Jesus had the perfect family. I mean, Jesus... His mom and dad left him in a big city all by himself. I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. No. You know, it's like no one has the perfect family. All of our families need help. So let me help you today. The Bible gives us instructions for our families, and it's throughout the New Testament, but I picked the book of Colossians. And we're going to read from Colossians chapter 3, and this is God's instructions for family. If there was a heat, beat, and bake message. This would be it. Here it is. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That is not my life verses a day, just so you know. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Sorry, that's for marriage. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Um, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There's your recipe for a great, perfect family. The New Testament cake mix, if you will, and it's going to be very simply, I'll just put it on the screen. You do these four things, you got it all down. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate your children. There you go. That's it. Why don't we just pray and dismiss and go to our picnic right there. That's it, all right? Thank you, Jesus. How many of you know that that is not how most of our families are. That's the real, or that's the ideal, and then there's the reality, and, and there's a great gulf fix between them. It's like, there's the ideal, and there's real, and there's this big middle, and there's this, we live in this tension. There's a gap between the real life and the ideal life, and I want to tell you something about Jesus. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus always teaches us, go for the ideal. Go for the ideal. Strive for the ideal. Now, I know parents and husbands and wives and kids, we're all going to mess it up, but, but he points towards the ideal. He says, this is it. You want it just right? Do these things. And you know what? When we fail, he never lowers the standard. Jesus never lowers the standard of discipleship ever. He always keeps it super high. But you know what else I love about Jesus? Is he never condemns those that fall short. He just keeps pointing toward the standard. And the standard is high. We see it in the, the Sermon on the Mount. We see it in this passage. It is high. And he points to that standard. And he says, go for the standard and live in that tension when you don't, when you don't get to that. Live in that uncomfortableness of not making it. And so the question is, am I willing to embrace a standard that I may never get to? Or listen to me, this may be a reality for some of you in this room. You will never get to it because of something that's happened in your past or in your family. You will never get to that standard, but are you still willing to embrace it? Are you still willing to embrace it? 
or you just want to forget about it and throw it away so you can just feel better about your life. There is the real, there is the ideal, and we live in the middle. We live in this tension. Listen to me. Don't ever try to resolve the tension. You will miss out if you try to resolve that tension because Jesus put an ideal up there for us to strive to. You will lose something important. Embrace where you're at. Embrace that high standard and go for it. Don't miss out. Don't dismiss it. Feel uncomfortable when you fall short as a husband or a wife or as a kid or as a parent. Just say, God, your love and your grace is bigger than my mistakes and I will strive towards your ideal. And you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to get higher than you ever thought you could and you're going to see how big God's love and grace for you really is. You're going to see how much God loves you because when there's that gap, His grace comes in. And I want to tell you the reason we want to embrace the best, we want to embrace that high standard, is because we want the best for our families. We want the best for our marriages. We want the best for our kids. We embrace the high standard, even though we fall short, because we want the best for our kids. And so let me give you the life verse, my life verse for being a dad. It comes from the book of Proverbs, and I don't know if that's an accident or not, but Proverbs is a book that talks about a dad giving instructions to his son. That's really the whole book. It's a dad speaking to his sons, giving him instructions, teaching him what wisdom is, teaching him the skills that he needs for his life, teaching him understanding. And so my life verse on being a dad is Proverbs 17.6. It's the second part of the verse, but we'll read the whole verse here together. Children's children or grandchildren are the crowned to the ages. And parents are the pride of their children. That second part is my life verse. Parents are the pride of their children. The bottom line is this. I want my kids to be proud that I'm their dad. Now I want to talk to you about that for just a minute because it is easy to be proud of your kids, right? I don't know about you, but, but in most circumstances, it's easy to be proud of your kids. Grandparents... You guys are just on a whole nother level of being proud of your grandkids. I don't know what it's all about there. I haven't made it there yet, but every grandkid is the cutest, the brightest, the best. And so it's easy to be proud of our kids. It's easy to be proud of our grandkids. But it's not so easy for our kids to be proud of us. But that's our calling. To make our kids proud that we're their mom and dad. We're growing them up. We're teaching them. We're training them. And we raise them right according to the book of Proverbs, that we can make them proud of us. I want my boys to be proud that I'm their dad. Now I realize I have a high schooler that's in his senior year, I have a junior higher that's in eighth grade, and I have a, a, a kid in grade school, Mark, and he's going to go into junior high next year. And so they're at those transition years, and I realize that junior high, high school, and grade school, kids aren't always proud of their parents. Dad's not cool. I get that. I get that. So I'm not thinking about like today, if you go and ask them, I want in a decade from now when you go and ask them, when they're grown and they have kids, are you proud that he's your dad? I want them to say, yes, I am proud. I am proud of my parents. I'm proud of Daryl and Jerry Merrill and that they're my parents. I think that's important. You may say, well, that's great, Daryl. you got a good family. 
grew up with ministers, and man, it must have been perfect. No, no, no. If I give that intention today or that, that, that idea today, it's not that way at all. I know that family can be hard, and you don't have to look too far down any family tree to find some trouble. And when you go to my grandpa, my grandpa Merrill, his dad was an alcoholic. Now, it's not just an alcoholic. I mean, this was an extreme alcoholic that abused his family in, in severe ways, so much so that my grandpa lost his mom at a very young age. Basically killed his mom. And, and so I remember talking to my grandpa when I was a little boy. I'd go to Iowa in the summers and be there, and he wouldn't talk much about his dad. And maybe you have an experience like that. I don't know if I could be proud of my parents, just what they've done and who they are and what they've done to me. And I never forget my grandpa, whenever he talked about his dad, he always told the story of how after he became a pastor, found the Lord, became a pastor, he would go to his dad, who was abusive, who, who was an alcoholic, he would go to his dad and preach the gospel and was be turned away again and again and again until the very end of his life when his dad accepted Jesus and then got up in a church one day and gave his testimony that God had changed his life. And then if God could change him, he could change anybody. And he never told the story of the abuse and the ugliness. He just said, I, I just remember that. I remember that. I remember that, that my dad found Jesus. And so we have these situations in our life where it's hard to honor. But listen, honor is a very important thing. The Bible tells us that honor is one of the most important things children can do to their parents. I know our, most of our children have left because they're in fuel today, but I just want to say it on the public record in case anybody's listening, that honoring our parents is so important. It's a big thing in the Bible. But since they're gone, we'll focus on parents today and, and say this, that parents' responsibility is to drive out foolishness and build wisdom in their children. Our job is to drive out foolishness and, and put wisdom in its place. And when it comes to our children, that's what we do. We are their teachers. We are their trainers. God gives them to us. Our children belong to God. They don't belong to us. The moment that they're born, we are getting them ready to leave our house to go out on their own. That is our job. We prepare them for leaving. And so we are called to, to teach our children wisdom. Now you may say, well, that's great for you, Daryl, and anybody that has, has kids here today, but this message is just not hitting with me. I don't have kids, or my kids are long gone, or I'll never have kids. Listen to me. This is really important. It takes more than just parents to raise children. And, and you have influence with people that you could never even imagine. I look around this congregation, and it's funny because I see people that were my junior high Sunday school teachers here, or worked with the kids' clubs on Wednesday night when I was growing up, or were my youth leaders. I see those people, and they impacted my life. Listen to me. My kids don't think I'm cool. They don't listen to me. But if you said the exact same thing that I said to them, they would listen I need you in their life. Nothing makes me more excited than to see somebody from our church talking to my kids after the service or, or, or a youth leader talking to them or, or somebody investing in their life. I love that because we need help and you can help. 
It doesn't have to be formally, although it can be in a want or being a youth leader. Those things are great. It can just be there and standing with parents and saying, man, you look great today. What'd you learn in, in Sunday school? When you see a, a teenager today, say, hey, what'd you learn in fuel today? You know, just talk to them. Just reinforce. And then sometimes, you know what would be great? Is if you came up to one of us parents and put your arm around and said, I think you're doing a good job. Because we don't hear that very often. And we wonder if we are. Because we don't see the ideal. We see where we're striving. We see the gaps. And so help us in any way that we can raise our kids. The responsibility of the parent, one more time, is to drive out foolishness and build in wisdom. So let me give you some verses from Proverbs. Here they are. Number one, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. And all the parents said, yes, amen. No, that's, you know, that's what we're called to do. We're called to drive foolishness away from our kids and build in wisdom. And, and, and I don't want you to see this as just a, a verse so you can beat your kids. It's not what it is at all. You know, Proverbs tells us that there's actually hope in discipline. That's what it should be. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Your discipline should bring hope to your children. The Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. That's really important. Those gracious words promote instruction. Yelling and screaming like an idiot at your kids does not promote instruction. Gracious words do that. See, our children are asking two questions. The first question they're asking is, am I loved? Am I loved? And the second question is, can I have my own way? Those are the two questions every kid is asking. And as you're training them, just remember that. And the answer to the first one should be yes and always. You are loved. There is grace. There is forgiveness. You are loved. You belong to me. I will always love you no matter what. Just there, yes. Yes and always to number one. And number two, sometimes at the most. Sometimes, but probably not. Those are the two questions they're asking. And we're to give the wise answers. I told you when we began that I can't give you 10 instructions to have the perfect family. I can't. But I'm going to give you some tips right now. I'm going to give you six tips. And these are just, trust me, my kids are still young. So if these tips don't work in the next few years, you can just erase them. But I found that these work pretty good. These six tips. First of all, be consistent and clear. Be consistent and clear. I think our kids are begging us to be consistent and clear. That we don't keep changing the boundaries, but that we make just those firm boundaries. That we are consistent in what we say. We're consistent in what we do. We are consistent and that we are crystal clear with our kids. Never ask your kid, why did you do that? That's not a good question to ask because our kids are young and stupid and sinners. And you don't ask them why. The answer is found in all of that. No, you ask them, do you know what you did? See, the what question is more important than the why. Do you know what you did? 
Do you know what was wrong here? Do you know where you went off track? You know, those questions are so much better. And just be consistent and be crystal clear with your kids so that they understand. So they don't end up feeling, oh, I just, I'm, just, I'm just a bad person, I guess. I'm just, no, what did you do? Number two, never shame them. Never shame them. And by shame, I'm talking about public discipline. Never discipline them in front of other people. Never discipline them in a crowd. Never discipline them even in front of the other family members. Just, that's a private thing. Discipline them where you can talk to them. And, and we'll talk a little more about this in a moment. But, but never shame them. Never do it out in the public. Number three, and this could be and probably is the most important, it's, it's all about love. It's all about love. We're called to love our children. We're called to model Christ's love to them. And, and so we have to love them. And we have to love them as God loves them. And that's very different than the average parent's love for their kids. Now, we're proud of our kids and, and that. But, but the love that God talks about is found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in that love, that love always builds up. It never tears down. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, what is love not? What does love never do? Well, it's never jealous. It's never arrogant. It's not rude or angry or selfish or resentful. Love is none of those things. Love never tears down. Instead, love builds up. What is it? It's patient and kind. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We are called to love our children and love our family. And when we do that, we are building up. We're not tearing down. We're building up in love. This one goes along with the next tip, and that's the, this. that It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. We need to have a relationship with our children. We need to have a relationship with our spouse. We need to have a relationship with our family, our extended family. We need that kind of relationship. But in, in the context of our kids, obviously love is a big part of that. If you're building them up and not tearing them down, well, yes, there'll be love. They'll, that, that's pretty clear. But it's more than that. You want to know the quickest way to build a relationship? Is give someone encouragement. Encourage someone. Build them up. Honor them. And when you encourage someone, you're fostering that relationship. You want to know another ingredient? Listen. Listen to them. If every time you sit down with your kid to talk and they're saying, okay, Dad, what lecture's coming now? You don't have a good relationship. Because there's some times where we're just supposed to sit there and listen. That's what a relationship is. So sometimes we're just called to listen to encourage, to build up. And then you can step in with that discipline when you have that relationship. So relationship is one of the keys of raising your children. Next one is model wisdom. Model wisdom. Model the book of Proverbs to your kids. Model them what it's like to live a wise life. Model that at home. Model that at work. Show them what it means to love God with all your heart. Show them what it means to, to work hard or diligently. Show them what the book of Proverbs says. Show them wisdom in action. Because if your kids see it in you, chances are they'll probably do it. But I want to tell you, if they don't see it in you, they're not going to do it. So model it for them. Model the life that you want to see them live. I heard a phrase one time, and it just, it's really stuck with me, and that's that when we raise our children, we're actually raising our grandchildren. 
When we raise our children, we're actually raising our grandchildren because how we treat our children is how they're going to treat their children. So we're actually raising our grandchildren. And I've thought about that a lot recently because it's like I, I want these things to be a part of their life. The last, and I believe the most important tip, is to pray. To pray. Just pray for your family. Pray for your sons, your daughters. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your extended family. Pray for your uncles and aunts and cousins and different people that you interact with. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your great-grandchildren. Just pray. Pray, pray, pray. Because you can't do it by yourself. You can't heat, beat, and bake all by yourself. You've got to have God's hand in it. And going back to this, when you do these tips, you know what's important about this? Is, is they'll see that in your life, and what you're doing is you're making it concrete for them. Because we can have sermons all day long about what it means to be a good husband or a good wife or a good parent or a good kid, but they need to see it. Not just hear it, they need to have it made concrete for them. And when you do these six things, they will see it being lived out right in front of their eyes. I have a confession to make. I am addicted to my GPS. I love it. I have this this app on my phone, and and I got a a marriage thing coming up in in Minnesota in a couple weeks, and I got the address yesterday of where we're going. So I typed it in, and you know what's great about this app? It tells you, you know, obviously driving in different routes, but if you took an airplane or if you took a train or a bus, if you wanted to walk, how long it would take. And there, I mean, it has every, I just, I love, I love looking at that. And I'll use it when, when I go, when I drive there. I'll, I'll, I'll have it right there on my dashboard, on my phone, and I'll watch it the whole way. I want to just encourage you that as you live this out, because listen, We mess up as moms and dads. We mess up as husbands and wives. We fall flat on our face. And you're not going to get better on your own. You're going to be uncomfortable knowing that there's this ideal and where you're at. You're going to get uncomfortable. But I'm going to tell you, we have the Word of God. We have a set of ideals that God never lowers. And He says, strive for these ideals. It's really all we got. So go for it. Strive for it. And when you fail, there's grace, there's love, there's forgiveness. And just let me encourage you today before we go. This is really important. Don't get discouraged. If you're doing what God wants you to do, if you take what we've talked about today, if you start living out these six tips, don't be discouraged. Just keep going. Keep doing what God asks you to do. Keep planting that seed, believing that it's going to find good ground and that there's going to be a harvest. You drive through all the fields if you went on vacation this summer in the Midwest and you got the corn and the soybeans and the wheat and everything that's out there. And you know what's interesting? Throughout the summer, you rarely see a farmer on a tractor out there during the summer. It's, they, you see them earlier in the spring when they're planting and in a, in a few weeks you're going to see them out there in the harvest, but you don't see them throughout the summer. And sometimes we go through life in our families and our marriages and with our kids or our grandkids and we don't see anything happening. And we're like, what's going to take place? Just just believe that you've planted seed in good ground. Just believe that when there was a gap between what you should have been and what you were, that God's grace is bigger. And just pray that through.
and just believe it, just hope it. And let me tell you today, this is probably the most important lesson I've ever learned in my life. Years ago, when I was the youth pastor here at this church, and that was some of my favorite years of ministry here, I worked with a lot of different kids. And I learned a valuable lesson before I had kids. I became a youth pastor, had kids while I was a youth pastor, but they were very young. And I, I learned the, probably the most important uh, parenting lesson ever, and that is, is that teenagers will do what they want to do. And you cannot control them. And you can give them all the wisdom, all the instruction, all the love. You can tell them this is exactly what you should do. And you don't do this and, and, and then they just break your heart by doing exactly what you told them not to do. And their life gets messed up. And, and I just, I learned that lesson at the very beginning that they have a choice. And they can do whatever they want to do. And you can only do what God tells you to do. And you just wait for the harvest. Because a lot of those kids that, that went off in the wrong direction, you know what's interesting? Is they start coming back around at some point. And we hold on to Proverbs 22.6. Start children off on the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. You just believe. You just pray. And you don't give up. You just keep believing. You keep praying. And you keep going. And that takes a lot of patience. But don't get discouraged. Don't lower the ideal. Don't abandon it. Just keep going. Just keep believing. And, and you know what? I, I just pray every night for my kids. And every time I put them to bed, I put my hand on their head. And I know they're older, so some of them they don't like it. But I just say, would you make them a strong man of God? I name their name. Make them a strong man of God. I've done that since they were babies. I just pray that every night. I know they have a choice. I know they can do whatever they want to do. And I know that maybe they will go astray. But I do know that they have, been, they have a seed planted in them. And it's never too late to plant the seed. It's never too late to plant the seed. And then pray to the Lord of the harvest. Because God is looking at eternity. We're looking at today and we can get discouraged. But He looks at eternity. And so we pray, and we believe, and we strive toward the ideal that he sets there. And we pray for his love and forgiveness for the gaps in our life. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? And I just want us to reflect on, on the questions I asked at the beginning. And We're just going to have some quiet worship music play for the next couple minutes. And I ask you the question, what does your family look like? What does your family look like right now? And the other question is, what do you want your family to look like? What do you want your family to look like? What do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want your relationship with your kids to look like? What do you want your relationship with your parents to look like? You can just extend this out to uncles and aunts and grandparents and cousins, to the relationships in our life. Just multiply it out. What do you want it to look like? And, and let's just begin to pray toward that end. Let's just pray that we can live out what God says in His Word so that we can see a harvest in the days and years and eternity to come. I'm going to let you have some private moment with God today. Maybe look over your notes and 
pray what you want to see for your family, where you have that gap. Pray for your family for just a moment before we have our family meal.